Welcome to Business as an Adventure, a podcast dedicated to improving the businesses and lives of creative entrepreneurs. Together, we interview high-performing entrepreneurs and creatives from all over the world, explore what makes them and their business unique. And along the way, we uncover their secrets to help you craft your own adventure in the world of business. Our guest today is Los Angeles, California photographer, Marlies Hartman. Her work evokes romance, mystery, and a sense of timeless dreaminess that I personally love and have told her this on more than one occasion. Marlies graduated cum laude from the New York uh, University Tisch School of the Arts, has won numerous photography awards, including being named one of the top 100 wedding photographers in the world, among many others. She's been shooting weddings since 2016, which is an incredibly short period of time to have raised to the heights that she has, which shows a testament to her hard work and skill as a photographer. Now, outside the photography world, Marlies has been a contestant on multiple game shows, including being a winner on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader and The Price is Right. She's lived in seven different places in the U.S., as well as Italy, and was a competitive classical pianist as a child. She's a proud mom, a graduate of the Institute of Psychology of Eating, and just a damn delightful person. Angie and I have both had the pleasure of traveling with her and spending some time with her outside of work, and we were pleased to have her here on the podcast with us today. Welcome, Marlies. That was incredibly generous. Thank you. (laughs) You've had lots of accomplishments. Like, winning the price is right? Are you kidding me? Oh, it's my childhood dream. <laughs> we were talking about it yesterday, and the funny thing is, is that so much of it was really just luck. I mean, there's 300 people in the audience, you know, they, they call up, I don't know how many people they call up, maybe nine contestants, 10, 12 contestants, so 12 out of 300. And then of that, I think six people end up making it into, like onto the show itself. Once mm-hmm. you're just even called up, but yeah, it was one of those, it was one of those things in your life where you're like, is this happening? Cause I was on stage and they told you ahead of time that you would black out if you got up on stage, but literally you, you black out. <laughs> I can imagine. Just so it's much a, adrenaline. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the, the best part of all is that, and I was saying this when we were talking about it yesterday, that. I was standing, so the the exciting thing about my show was that I got called into the contestants row and then instantly got called up on stage. And uh, so you get called down and then you're the first person to bid. I bid, I got onto the stage and I was the third contestant of the day to make it on stage. And they had announced that there was this bonus prize for the first person of the day to win their game up on stage and the first two people didn't win so when I was still sitting in the audience I thought the next person to go on stage is the third person to you know they're they're gonna win whoever's you know the next person on stage will win so I made it from the from my chair to the stage as the next person and then won my game which was like such a simple game it was actually like they basically were like oh nobody's winning let's give her the easiest game ever and I won my game and where I was standing, I knew that I was going to get this bonus prize and I had a feeling they were going to, you know, open the doors and, and reveal it. And they're like, she has just won a brand new luxury. And I'm thinking they're going to say car. And I'm like, I'm going to win some, you know, like Audi or something. And they're like, travel trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Since when did luxury and travel trailer go in the same sentence? I know. And so, I mean, but it's still exciting. But instantly in my head, I'm like, okay, what's that worth, right? Like, how much can I sell this for? (laughs) But this was pre-pandemic. I mean, looking back now, I really might have kept it because I I sold it 
February of last year. So a month before everyone went into lockdown and all of last year, while we were just sitting in our houses, I remember thinking like I could be get, you know, I rent my place. I could sublet it and travel, but I didn't, I sold it. So you could have been traveling around in luxury. Right. Well, and the funny, the, the other funny, not funny, but the, I sold it for a really low price because at the time, you know, travel trailers aren't, weren't really in high demand. And now, I mean, they're super in demand. So if I had just waited, I probably could have profited more from it, but I ended up getting a car. I got myself a car. So it was, it was a win for everybody. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't suck. No. That <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about this crazy meteoric rise in wedding photography. Like you started shooting five years ago, which is crazy. So, yeah. So the first time I picked up a DSLR was 2015. I had been doing iPhone photography for Instagram back in the day when Instagram was still chronological. And I was posting for this sort of food blog that I had created and on like a free WordPress site. And so I was making this Instagram feed to kind of go with it. And I was trying to use depth of field using an iPhone, like an iPhone 5, right? So I always joke that I think that really helped because I was, it's like swinging with two bats, right? (laughs) So the first time I tried a real camera in 2015, I had already been you know, shooting on a, on a crappy phone. So it, it felt so much easier. And I was, I was really lucky that I was in a relationship at the time with someone who was a photographer and he was like, try my camera. And and I tried it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much easier than what I've been doing. And so I spent 2015 mostly just shooting food. And I always say, if you want to get good at photography, try shooting melting banana ice cream on a hot, patio in sunny California and you'll have to get good fast because you have a very limited window of time to actually photograph the thing you're trying to shoot before it's melted, right? And it was this vegan gluten-free food blog and I wasn't gluten-free or vegan, which was kind of the irony of it, but I was very interested in plant-based foods and so it was more like my journey with it. And I'm also a big advocate of having this narrow funnel to sort of widen your audience. I always say narrow to widen. And so I sort of chose that niche so that um, I would have a broader audience on my social media platform at the time. And then from there, I started shooting headshots because I joke that if you spit out the window in LA, you land on two actors that need headshots. And having been, um, I was a theater major in college and I had, you know, some actor friends here that needed photos. So I I took some headshots for them, and then from there had people ask me, oh, what do you charge? So I said, oh, I get to charge for for photos, right? And then I also had some food companies that started reaching out asking me, what do you charge to create recipes and photograph it and then deliver photos for them? So Delicious was a company that I worked with a lot back in 2015. And so that was when I kind of realized that you can make money using a camera. And so I spent 2015 doing a few headshots, mostly just still working on my food stuff. And then 2016, January 2016 was the first time that I shot a couple. And I I watched a Creative Live Jasmine Star episode called the $250 Marketing Plan. And I put together a $250 
styled shoot, if you will, and shot a friend of mine and her boyfriend. And like 99% of the budget ended up going into the Airbnb that we were able to use for like one hour. The girl was like very strict about it. And so (laughs) I also made her like a bouquet. That was like where my $250 went. That was January of 2016. Right. So that was, that was sort of when I realized, oh, I really like shooting living objects. And I really like shooting two people at the same time versus just one, which is what I was doing with headshots. That was a very long winded answer to your question. I don't even know if there was a question. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm curious, how do you, how do you use that narrow to narrow to widen? Right? Yeah. How there's gotta be like to for... a cooler way to say it than narrow no, to widen. I love it. Yeah. But how, how do you use that in your wedding photography business? Oh, okay. So same sort of concept is I am in Southern California where there's beautiful, as I'm sure you guys know, natural light, right? And as a result of that, most photographers here sort of are natural, exclusively natural light photographers or they're uh, light and airy photographers. So I think when I was starting, something that was really important to me was that if I wanted to do use that same concept of narrow to widen, that I would need to do something different than everything that I was seeing in my market, which was to not be light and airy. And I was dating another wedding photographer. I was dating a wedding photographer, not another wedding photographer, who you might know, Robert Moriel, who lives in Canada. And he was the one who challenged me to learn lighting. And he said, you know, why don't you learn it? And if you don't, if you still don't want to use it, you don't have to use it. And so that was sort of what led me to the two-man workshop that I took in November of 2016. So that was my first workshop I had ever taken. And at that point, I had only shot two weddings, I believe. Yeah. Abby and I were doing it for five years before we even knew wedding photography workshops were a thing and you shot two weddings. That's crazy. Well, I had been second shooting that year. So I was second shooting a lot for yeah. Rob and I was also, I was just going onto the knot and literally just like cold emailing everybody who was listed there to be like, here's my food work. Here's my headshot work. Like I'm trying to assist or second shoot. I mean, I probably shot 40 weddings that year total, either as an assistant, a second shooter or an associate. And then I had, I think three by the end of the year, I think I had three weddings. One of them was like a two hour elopement, but I was, I was, I counted it as a wedding. So that first year I was busy and I was, you know, sort of honing what I could, but it still took me, even after I took the workshop in November, it wasn't until I'd say August of the next year that off-camera lighting really started to sink in for me. And I, what I realized was, cause I had, I ended up 2017, I had 20 weddings booked. So by that second year, I was already like getting busy and I used my headshot sessions to practice my off-camera lighting because the pacing was so much slower that it just became such an easier time for me to sort of go, oh, let me just pretend like I know what I'm doing here and just balance flash and natural light. And that was ultimately what I was doing the first half of 2017 to just become comfortable with it. And then I started sort of integrating it more into weddings so that I had a better idea of what I was doing and didn't feel, although gosh, let's be real. Like half the time I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, let's just try this and see. And then if it works, it's great. <laughs> That's half the battle though, isn't it? It's like trying something with, you know, you might fail at it, 
The difference is once you've had some successful results, then people will trust you. If you're like, hey, let's try this, like it might not work. We might just be like, nope, we're scrapping this. But they're they're more likely to be like, okay, great. We trust you, not overjudging you. And I think it's that sort of internal dialogue that we have of like, oh, I've got to do this for my couple or they're going to be judging me, right? But I just did my first shoot as a client. I took photos of my daughter and me. This was maybe three weeks ago. And it was such a different experience because I got to see what it felt like to really be a photography client. And I got married in 2006, way before I had even thought about photography. I think we paid $750 for our photographer. We paid like nothing. I was never at any point judging the photographer as a client. I was more so like, am I doing this right? Does this work? Is this looking okay? Like, are we moving too fast? Are we moving too slow? Like, so it was, it was interesting to see the difference when you're on the other side of the camera. Like here we are as photographers, like, oh, our couple's judging us. They're more worried about like, is my eyelash falling off? Right. Mm-hmm. My fake eyelash, not like, is my real eyelash falling off? <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly yes. what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do so not I. show up I don't wear, a... I don't wear cra- fake, fake eyelashes, but I've been around enough people who yeah. have. <laughs> I don't ever get my photo taken without fake eyelash like if i have a professional right. photographer it makes such a difference doesn't it Huge difference. it does right dave yeah well i mean one of the first times <laughs> that we ever hung out with lanny and erica i have a distinct memory of abby and erica both in the bathroom of their old apartment figuring out how to put on fake eyelashes because neither of them ever <laughs> like wore them and we were just going out to shoot for fun and so yes i think every every woman i know who gets their photos done wears fake eyelashes I have a question for you because uh, oftentimes when photographers are starting out, the piece of advice they always get is like, oh, go second shoot a lot, go assist a lot, do that. Was that time doing those 40 or so weddings as a second or as an assistant, was it as valuable as, say, taking the workshop or just getting out and shooting? Like, did you learn enough in that role that it was worthwhile? Hmm. I don't know. I, I, it would be hard for me to say that one would be valuable over the other. If I, if I had to choose between taking a workshop or putting in those 10,000 hours, I would say that the hours are more important, right? If you had to choose, but there was skills that I learned from, I took their workshop and then I did Mystic, which was a conference at the time, right after, or like a few months, a couple months after. And then, which was like, my brain just exploded that whole time, right? Because you were speaking there with, that was the year you were speaking with Abby. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Jocelyn Tree spoke that year, Gabe McClintock. I took Gabe McClintock's one day workshop the day before Mystic. And then a couple months after that, I, t- I went to WPPI. And the funny thing is that what I got the most from WPPI was I sat in on the judging for like two days straight. And I had no idea that listening to image critiques just hours and hours and hours on end was so beneficial. And I tell people, I'm like, look, if you ever are on the fence about going to WPPI, go and just sit in on the, on the critiques, if nothing else, like don't, don't even worry about getting the class pass. Like those critiques are one of the most valuable things that they offer and it's free. Anyone can go and sit and listen. And uh, I think you just have to register for maybe for the expo pass. I don't know, but I, I don't even know if they even check for badges at that point, to be honest, (laughs) but, but regardless, that was that. So I had gone from like two man to a mystic comp to the mystic conference and Gabe's Gabe McClintock's one day workshop and then WPPI all within a matter of like six months. 
And I think having that much education on top of all of the like self-learning and all the hours that I had put in, I mean, I was just exposing myself to so much information and, and then so much opportunity because you can learn sitting down in a, you know, a classroom type setting, but it's not till you're really out there assisting in second shooting. And to be honest, I kind of feel like assisting is almost better than second shooting because you're literally there with the photographer. So that same summer, the summer of 2017, I got to assist Erica and Lanny at a wedding. And that also was one of just the most valuable experiences that I had. I was really lucky that people trusted me enough to sort of give me those opportunities, right? And let me assist or second shoot. And then I also just took that money and tried to invest as much as I could in my education because I think I think it's so important. And then on top of that, there's the whole like, oh, and now I have to create and try and run a successful business because none of this matters if people won't pay me. So there's that whole component too. Gosh, it's a lot. It is. That that's gonna be our pull quote right there. Yeah. <laughs> None of this matters if you can't make any money. Yeah. So on, on that same on that same thread there, how, when when you decided to, that you wanted to make this a career and you want to start making money with this, what was the first thing that you did to invest in the business side? Yeah. So the first thing I did was right after I took Erica and Lanny's workshop in November 2016. I think it was about that same month that I paid $4,800. I'll never forget because it was such a big financial month for me because I paid for their workshop. And then I also paid for one year of advertising on the knot uh, to be on like their front page. And I did that because here in this market, it was, I knew there were so many people that were using the not as brides, that it was a really heavily trafficked market. And also because I had no other, I really didn't have any other choices at the time if I wanted to get some sort of advertising. I didn't understand Facebook ads at all. I didn't even know that that was really a thing that wedding photographers were doing. I mean, now there's multiple social media platform marketing, right, options. But that, it kind of felt like the only option at the time. And so I, instead of even paying monthly, I invested in a full year because I knew that putting in that money, I'm a big believer in we put the work into what we also put the money into, or at least that's what works for me. And so I knew that by making that big financial investment that uh, I was going to be putting like my full energy and efforts into wedding photography for as my business. Yeah. So 2017 was when I was is when I would say I started full time because that's really when my business was in full throttle for sure. So you got a good return on investment from the knot? Oh yeah. I'd say 15 out of the 20 weddings I booked for 2017 were from the knot. And I, I do think it's a little different. They've merged with Wedding Wire now, but I'm still booking about 25% of my weddings from the knot. So I've stayed with them. They ended up making me an ambassador in 2018 because I booked John Stamos's wedding through their platform. They found me on the knot, which was like a big deal. And so they were using me as their, <laughs> as their poster child, you know, give us your money and we'll, we'll give you celebrity weddings, which was, again, it's like winning on a game show. It was just a total fluke, right? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, for me, it's a return on investment. A lot of people don't have that kind of success with their platform. But again, right, it's the narrow to widen. So I was presenting myself as a very different style than 90% of what you're going to see on the knot in Southern California. 
And so I knew that that actually, even though like some people would be like, oh, well, but you're not really following the style that, you know, most couples are wanting. I knew that having that, I don't want to say paradox, but it was just, it was sort of having that juxtaposition and being something different that would actually bring in more clientele. And that's why I think it's continued to work for me because the clients who do want a different look, who don't want pastel colors or don't want those whitewashed skies, they're going to be the ones that have a, you know, a smaller choice. It's like being a freckled redhead in, in Los Angeles, you're going to have more auditions, right? Because there's less, like when they need a freckled redhead, not that you'll have more auditions, you'll have more success at your auditions because there's just a smaller pool, right? So. Mm-hmm. That was like, that's such an, like an LA, LA I know. <laughs> you'll book more, you'll do better like, in yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, totally. Freckled right. redhead <laughs> audition stuff. <laughs> well, because I'm still doing, I still do headshots once in a while, right? So anytime I get someone who's like ethnically ambiguous, I'm like, like you have won the genetic lottery right now in Hollywood because that's, that's what they're looking for. And there's, there's less to choose from. So it's the same thing with your style. I wanted a style here in LA that less photographers seem to have. I mean, Angie, you have the same thing in Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you're shooting in a way that there's anyone who wants that style. It's going to be like, oh, well, I've got a book, Angie. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I think I'm the only one in the state that is shooting this way. We have a big mix of like light and airy and then that um, Pacific Northwest brown. The muddy and moody. Yeah. Dipped in tea, as Dave dipped, calls dipped it. Dipped in tea. <laughs> yes. That's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Someone was talking at the photography group the other day. They're like, what does SEO mean uh, for photographers? And it's like some, it was something like uh, shoot everything orange. <laughs> like that, that was my new one. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned, you know, having to focus on the business and growing that because if you don't make money, what is even the point? The not obviously did well for you. But in, in what other ways did you grow as an entrepreneur alongside growing as a photographer? You had a lot of education in the photography space. What was it like in the business space? Well, I think one of the other important mistakes that I didn't make was that I didn't undervalue my services from the beginning. So I made sure that I charged more than what a lot of other entry-level photographers were charging. And not only did I do that, I also felt like I had had the practice and I had the education to sort of back it up, but I didn't want to let fear drive my prices down as I was starting. And so I made sure that I didn't Like I was already charging sort of a mid-level pricing when I very first was shooting some of my first weddings. And I think that a lot of photographers are afraid that they're not going to book. And so they'll discount their pricing. I mean, gosh, we do that at every level though, right? I mean, that fear of not booking always is driving our prices down. And it's, you know, it also, it's supply and demand. So raising your prices, lowering your prices. At one point during the pandemic, I was charging less than I probably have ever charged hourly, you know, to shoot a six person micro wedding in a backyard, right? Because there was literally everything was locked down and nothing was happening. And so we do what we decide to do. And that's the one of the beauties of being a business owner. I think that making sure that you don't keep yourself in that pricing dead zone is super important. When did you start keeping album samples in the trunk of your car? 
Oh goodness, that's a Angie's laughing. <laughs> well, because I've, I I've think it's it like three or I four times, and I'm just like, yeah. I gotta start putting my albums in the back of my car. I do think it's genius. Yeah, yeah. As, as soon as you no, mentioned that I... a couple of weeks ago, we were like, of course, obviously. Oh, you don't keep album samples in your car? Oh. I do now. Oh, no, I'm a peddling salesman. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So I think I, I think I had albums in my packages from the very beginning. And again, it helped that I was in a relationship with someone who had been working as a full-time wedding photographer. Like, I'm not even going to lie. That definitely helped because he was someone that was like, yes, you need to sell albums. Like, there's no reason not to. And sort of here's how you do it, right? And so I set myself up with Miller's from the very beginning and just made a sample album right after I shot my first wedding so that I would have something to show people because people can't buy what they can't see. And I also put together pretty early on, I used Pixie set. I've just always used them and for my gallery hosting. And I put together a Pixie set gallery of sample images of what albums look like and the swatches and the different fonts and things like that so that I could instantly sort of have something to show people, even if I can't show them in person. Because as we all know, we're not doing a lot of in-person. I haven't done an in-person meeting. I think I did one in the past probably 14 months. Everything else has been through Zoom, right? Do you think you'll return to in-person or stay with Zoom? Oh, goodness. So I have this whole theory about in-person meetings. I was I was talking to a friend about this again today. He was dealing with contra- a contract with a, with a couple and the dad's a lawyer. And so they were going back and forth, right? And he was talking about another wedding where they kept negotiating the packaging. And I'm like, I'm like, look, this is like married couples, like couples that fight stay together. So I'm like, this is good. Anytime that your couple or your couple's dad is wanting to negotiate and figure things out and try and, you know, rework a contract or whatever it is, it means they want to book you. I don't know why I went off on that tangent, though. What were we just talking about? Oh, if, if, you'd, if you'd go back to in-person sales meetings. But that's an interesting, I want to go down this rabbit hole a little bit more. Yeah. Because oftentimes Sorry, when yeah. photographers like have that conflict, their first reaction is just to pull the record, get the hell out of there. And I think that's a really interesting... The resistance, yeah. it's yeah. an interesting way to look at it. So can you say a little bit more about how you came to that thought? <laughs> about couples who fight stay together. It's so true, though. It's the couples that stop fighting that you're like, oh, I'm worried about them. Because you, you, you fight because you care, right? <laughs> and so obviously, if a couple is taking the time to try and rework or negotiate or make something work with you, they're doing it because they're investing their time. Oh, that's where I was going with this. And so there's something about the in-person meeting. You're making them invest their time. I am a big believer if you have in-person meetings that you don't have them at a coffee shop. You don't. You could have them at your house. I was doing them for a while. I would sometimes do them at my home, but I have a really great local boutique hotel that is like a, you know, it's probably like a four to five star hotel with tons of seating inside. And it's literally, if my brand were a hotel, this would be my brand, like as a hotel. And so by forcing couples, just like they would drive to the caterers or to the wedding planner or to the venue, they're investing their time driving to you as a photographer. And then they can either choose to valet their car or they, you know, which means they're going to be investing money in you by valeting their car. They're paying that $8 to park their car, but now they're already putting money into you as a business, right? Or they can park their, you know, pay, pay a meter and, and invest more of their time and energy by walking to the hotel from the parking lot, right? And then you're sitting down They might order a drink because there's, you know, a cocktail waitress walking around or they might even order food, but you're, you're creating this experience that's taking more effort from them to create. 
And by them investing their time and energy and money in just coming to see you, you're already, I feel it's psychologically convincing them to want to work with you more because they've already put in that investment. And I found that those in-person meetings, like my hit rate was so high with booking because they're not even going to go to the trouble to do all of that, especially with LA traffic, let's be real, right? Unless if they're really interested in working with you, right? And there's something about that three-dimensional tactile experience that you just can't get from a screen. And for me, so much of my work is based on trust with my clients and that connection. So being able to have them in person, you're already building that trust on a different level than just, oh, let's have a quick Zoom meeting. And then, you know, sometimes the dog's barking in the background. I don't have a dog. Their dog's barking in the background. <laughs> or there's a connection problem or an audio issue, right? So there's all those other things that you're you're now dealing with that sort of takes away from, hey, I want to try and see if this, if our relationship will work, right? And let's work on building that connection and trust and see if we can then take that next step because you're about to make a huge investment on your photography, right? And the photos that you'll have forever. I think it's an important thing to have if you can do in person, but I also know how much time I've saved by just having Zoom meetings. So I think it's something that I will start offering people, um, especially right now in California, as things are starting to reopen, people want places to go and they want an excuse. But I, I, I don't think... I think digital meetings are going to be here to stay for sure. Yeah. It's it's been the nature for both Angie uh, and Abby and I, like it's almost always been the case because our couples fly here to get married or fly to Maui to get married. So in-person meetings just haven't been a thing for years for us. So it's like, like, Hey, welcome to the crew, everybody. This is (laughs) how we do it. Oh, right. Right. This is how we do it. And there's ways to still connect with people online. It's just... It's much harder. Right. It is harder. And and it's, you know, you're full of it if you're saying that you can establish the same connection with people. It's like, like try dating someone only online and then you meet them in person. And there's a chemistry that's going to be there that's going to be totally different than what you might have in just this two-dimensional experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like nothing can beat the time that we all spent in person in Bali, right? Versus, you know, doing something talking online and having these conversations yeah yeah it's completely or maybe it's just because we were drinking then. <laughs> a lot of bintang <laughs> a lot of bintang beer <laughs> but no i think you're right because when you're when you're digital there's there are often you know the dogs barking in the background or you don't know what's on the other side of the screen it's it's not a fully present connection for m- most people i wouldn't say all people but for most people they're you know facebook bing dings are going off on the side or instagrams on their phone whatever but when you're there with a person in presence because you've spent that time and energy being there you're almost just it's easier psychologically to just slip into being present which definitely helps from a sales point of view oh yeah i mean so much of what i think what we're doing we're not just selling our photography i mean there's so many photographers that'll talk about like oh the photos don't matter right like photos don't matter photos don't matter it's about selling yourself And where I don't think I fully align with the concept that photos don't matter, I do think a huge part of what our couples are investing in is us as people aside from the photos and the experience that we're going to give them. But I do believe there's this quote that one of my acting teachers said to us once, which is, be so good they can't ignore you. And I've tried to hold on to that because I've looked at When I decided I was going to do photography, I wanted it to feel like I had a PhD in photography, right? Like I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. 
And I want my desire to be good at photography is sort of aligned with that, which is just be so good. They can't ignore you. And I wanted my couples, I wanted my couples to see my photos and really feel that like, oh, wow, we can't ignore this person. Mm-hmm. Whether we like them or don't like them, we can't ignore them. <laughs> right. Well, there's the episode title. I mean, come on. Yeah. Be so good. Be they so can't good. ignore, they you. Can't ignore you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't it good? Like I mean, but think of like Meryl Streep or think of Marlon Brando. Like think of these. Think of these actors, right? And it, it crosses into sports. It crosses into the arts, you know, in other genres of the arts. That's kind of the ultimate goal, right? Because, and then you just don't, and then, and then be nice, right? That's the other side of it. <laughs> be so good they can't ignore you and, and don't be an asshole. Right. So, <laughs> because there are some really great talents out there who are also jerks and nobody wants to work with them or be around them and that sort of thing. That is the second part of that is be, belong to the, be nice to others, church. How much of your your sales process is is the photography versus the experience versus everything else? Like when you're talking to your clients and and they're choosing you as a wedding photographer or or meeting with a few, like what's what's the thing that differentiates you? I mean, obviously your work you mentioned that differentiates you in Southern California, but it, are there other things that that you try to stand out for? I like to really ask questions that are not just like, oh, how did you meet? One of the questions that I always ask during a meeting, I always say, so there's 7 billion people in the world. Why Dave? Right? And I tell them like, guys, I'm going to put you on the spot, right? And you can see them sort of like, oh, in this whole process of getting married so far, nobody has asked us that. It gives me feedback in a couple of ways. It gives me feedback because I get to hear their answer, but I also get to see how and if they're able to sort of open up and trust me and let me in that quickly. Because there's some couples who just can't get there. And I kind of know like, okay, it's going to be that, it's going to be a struggle bus the whole time. And they maybe were not a great fit. So I ask him that, those kind of questions. I also will talk about sort of why my, my why in the sense that I'm no longer married but I have this beautiful daughter of mine who anyone who's been on my about page can see like I'm obsessed with my child, but like rightfully so because she's freaking amazing. And I talk about her experience of looking at my wedding photos. So I make sure that that they know like, here, look, I have a wedding album. And even though I'm not married anymore, that wedding album is still one of the most important things that that I own because that's the love where she came from, right? Like that is... And then I tell them, you know, I'm not just shooting for you. I'm shooting for these little people that don't exist yet, right? Which is a phrase we've all, in the, you know, in one genre of the industry, we've all heard that phrase before, right? I say it from a place that I really mean it. And I tell them, like, guys, look, like, I don't love love. I'm not that, like, sappy photographer that, like, grew up in a dark, my grandpa's dark room, right? I am someone who loves the fact that, like, your life journey and your life journey And everything you've both been through is going to be coming together with all your favorite people at the same time, at the same place. And there will be things that happen on that day that we can't do on any other day. Like I could throw you guys on a cliffside at sunset and take beautiful romantic portraits of you next week with a glam squad if we had to. But like that day, there will be things that take place that I want to make sure that we capture that will be completely exclusive to that day only. That's kind of part of what I share with them during the meeting that I think goes beyond just the photos. It's that I care about those things. 
And then they, cause they can see, like, I can, I can shoot a sun flare, you know, any day, every day. Like, that's something I just, I, it's like a pony trick, right? Like, I can do that. And if it's not even sunny, I can fake it. But it's the caring about that other stuff and sort of painting the picture. And I'll tell them a story, for, you know, about how we released butterflies on our wedding day. And we were expecting the butterflies to like fly off and carry our wishes. And it was this whole like part of the ceremony I was so excited for, but we didn't let them wake up enough because they come dormant. And so instead of flying off, they like landed on my grandmother and got caught on my dress. And my grandmother was freaking out because she didn't want a butterfly climbing on her. And I'm hysterical laughing because now I'm like decorated in butterflies. And so I tell my couples, like, those are the stories that my daughter wants to hear. Like, she doesn't really care about the photo of my shoes and my jewelry draped on my veil, right? Or hanging from a chandelier, which I've never seen shoes hang from a chandelier. But that, like, (laughs) having a photo of, like, (laughs) having a photo of my grandmother's weathered hands as she's handing me my shoes. Like, those are the things I want to give you. Like, those are the moments I want to capture. I don't want to spend an hour shooting a flat lay that I could shoot three days after your wedding. Like I want to get you, you know, playing a hand clapping game with your niece. Right. So I really bring that sort of family into it because I think family is something that I really want to connect with and I do connect with. And so I sort of use that component and really talk about those, those moments that I think are so important. That goes beyond just what they're going to see in the photographs. Because a lot of couples are either hiring me because of like epic landscape portraiture type romantic, that stuff, or they're hiring me because they can see that I really value those moments. I'm really making sure that I communicate that like, look, like I care more about these moments than anything because we can make the romantic portraiture environmental stuff happen. It's that, you know, and somebody else might be able to do that too, but like, this is the stuff that really hits home for me that I want to make sure that we can pass on to like these humans that aren't even alive. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't even have much to say about that. I just, <laughs> we're it's, all the it's same so page important. when it comes yeah, to that. Yeah, we're all, yeah, exactly. Well, and it's funny because a lot of like my Instagram, my Instagram doesn't really have any moments. I'm mostly just showing, you know, the flashy. Gets the most likes low-hanging fruit yeah I'm yeah I'm gonna show what gets the low-hanging fruit because I want them to be drawn to you know my feed overall but then when they are looking at my work I hope that they're seeing like in my portfolio or in you know the shoots that that, like the featured sessions that I have that they can see the other side which is those moments that I think are so important yeah does the food blog still exist (laughs) maybe i mean it was a free wordpress site so i mean if you dig deep probably you could find it somewhere i mean guys like we're talking like this was gosh it looks like it must have been made in like 2010 like it looks really old and bad and i had no idea what i was doing so not an ongoing uh, side hustle this is if you scroll back on my instagram you'll see all my food stuff like if you want a recipe for vegan gluten-free almond butter brownies just scroll back and i'm sure i've got it posted on there you i mean you mentioned you still do headshots is there any other thing outside of the wedding world that you do photographically whether it's teaching or shooting other things Yeah. So, I mean, I shoot families or maternity. I don't really shoot. I've tried shooting newborn and it's just not my, 
it's a whole, gosh, it's like being a podiatrist versus being a gynecologist. Like, I feel like it's a whole separate genre of photography. And I've done like a little bit of boudoir. I was supposed to have my first workshop this year. Actually, no, it was supposed to be last year. Yeah, it was supposed to be last year. And then it got pushed to some date this year. But um, I have people coming in from Canada and I think a couple other places. So I've just sort of made it TBD. And now, I don't know, I have a lot of resistance when it comes to teaching, not because I don't enjoy teaching. It's more, I struggle with a lot of imposter syndrome with my work. I think because I I love it for different reasons than so many other people do. I don't feel like I've really earned the right to teach, if that makes sense. I also have this, this, this struggle with charging people for information, which is so silly. Or, and then also the other component of teaching a workshop is I feel like it'll never be good enough, right? Of like anything I do, it will never be as good as I want it to be. Which is the same with our work, right? Like every time I finish a shoot, I'm like, well, that was shit. Like that sucked. Okay, hopefully I can go home and find something that I can edit into something that's presentable, right? Or like, gosh, why didn't I do, you know, you go home and as you're driving home, you're like, why didn't I do this? And I knew I wanted to do that. Or I rushed this part or I didn't get that pose right. And I just, you know, and and you, you're so critical and I'm super, super self-critical to the point that it's almost a blessing because other people being critical doesn't really, I don't really get, I, I don't mind getting criticism because I think I've already criticized myself so much more. Does that make sense? Yeah. You, you primed yeah. yourself for it. <laughs> Right. Because I'm like, anything you say, like, it's not going to be anything worse than what I've already beat myself up over. So where do you find that line between battling imposter syndrome, but then also being a leader in the photography world? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to ask someone who struggles with imposter syndrome that's a leader in the photography (laughs) world. (laughs) I don't know any of those. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, again, like, I just try and put I just try and always do my best work, right? It's this like a student syndrome that goes on top of the imposter syndrome. I was always the front of the class, first to have my hand raised. And I think it's because I had so many insecurities growing up that it was like, okay, but if I'm the best student, they won't notice the other things that I'm so self-conscious about, right? I think it's the same thing. Like, okay, I'll just, I'll just be the A student and then nobody will notice all the other mm-hmm. stuff. But I don't know if that really answered your question. Because I, I guess I don't consider myself a leader in the in the photography world. So I'm I, top 100 photographers in the much, world, sister. Um, yeah, but like guys, <laughs> I, can, like, I can award Dave. Like Dave, you are now like master photographer of the universe, right? Okay, boom, done. Like I have bestowed it upon you, right? But what does that mean mm-hmm. really? It's so subjective. It's so subjective. And somebody asked the other day, or who would you consider some of the top photographers in our industry, right? Somebody asked that. And like, what would qualify that person to be that? Is it, do they have a teaching platform? Is it, you know, that they've won the most awards or, you know, all those, all those things. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with awards in general. Like, I don't think I've, I don't think I've submitted for a photography award since, I haven't paid for a, let's just say that I haven't paid to submit for a photography award since probably 2018, Mm -hmm. I would say is the last time I paid to submit for an award because I just, people say that it improves your work. And I, I do understand that for some people in the way that they're motivated, that that does push them. 
But for me personally, it just stresses me the hell out. Like I just, it was causing me so much stress. And I was, I was in the, I was a member of fearless photography and it was the same thing. Like, okay. So after you leave Erica and Lanny's workshop, you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to be like the best two man. That's not two man that's ever been. Right. And then you're like, why? Like, I'll never forget. So right after the weekend, after I assisted, I needed a second shooter for the following weekend. And at the time I was dating the Canadian who had just gotten flagged at the border and wasn't allowed to come into the States. Right. (laughs) So I always tell the story. So we're sitting having our vendor meal at this wedding in California. And it's the following weekend that I need a second shooter. And I'm telling Erica about it. And she's like, Lanny can do it. Lanny will be here. And I was like, (laughs) really? Like, that's funny. And she's like, well, let me go talk to him. Right. So she leaves and I'm still like eating my vendor meal, like the little assistant that I am trying to just like hurry and eat so I can, you know, help them. And Lanny comes over and sits down and he's like, so I hear you're in a bind. (laughs) In his Canadian accent. And he ended up second shooting for me. It was the most terrifying thing that I could possibly imagine as like a photographer in their first year is you have the person that you revere as, you know, your number one inspiration as a photographer, as a couple. And we're driving to the, to the wedding. And I ask him, I'm like, how do you, how do you know what your style is? Like, I can't figure out my style. Right. Because I knew that I was like, okay, I went to the two man workshop, but it's just not, I'm not two man and I'll never see the world that they, the way that they see it. And he said these revolutionary words to me. He was like, your style is just what you like to shoot. (laughs) It's so simple. I was like, damn. Okay. Yoda man. (laughs) And I was like, okay, that's, that's really good information. And, And I remember that day I was bringing my film camera because I wanted to learn film so that I could not use film, but but as a choice, not because I didn't know how to use film. Same thing with lighting. Like I wanted to learn lighting, not so that I would use lighting, but so that if I didn't use it, it was a choice, not the default. And this couple really wanted a hybrid photographer, I guess. And so as I'm shooting a roll of film during their portraits, you know, Lanny's over my shoulder shooting back up on the, on the 85. Right. And he asked me, he's like, why did you shoot film? And I was like, it had nothing to do with my desire to shoot film. It was that I I was doing it for the couple because I thought because they they wanted that or it was somehow perceived or it all just like made sense that it was so disjointed, right? And then when I delivered the images and the couple, I gave them some sneak peeks and they thought some of the digital sneak peeks were the film. That was the last time I ever shot film at a wedding, basically. Wow. We're getting close to time here. We don't want to take, don't want to take your whole day, but... One one last question that I have for you is how has being a mother impacted being an entrepreneur? Oh, dang, you're going to make me cry. Shoot. That was such a silly question to get emotional over. Well, going beyond even being a mom, I've been a single mom since she was four. And she's she's been with me full time pretty much her whole life, right? Having this motivation of this person that not only do you want to be the best version of yourself to give them this, you know, this beautiful life, but it's also to model 
the kind of person that you want them to become. I really hope that what I am modeling for her is that here I am someone who in their 30s completely started over from ground zero. I mean, I literally had everything I owned in my car at one point, right? Like sleeping at a friend's house. Like I was starting over 100% fresh. And I was then able to sort of take that that do-over and that starting over at, you know, ground zero where like we had to take photos of if she wanted a toy, like I had to take a picture of it because I couldn't afford it kind of situation, right? And I was like, well, we'll take a photo of it so we'll remember it. And then to be at that extreme to then building this business in this life where I'm able to provide experiences for her, this sort of idea of what I consider success for the two of us, I hope that it shows her how that hustle and that drive and that desire and all those things, you know, those sort of cliche things are possible. And so just knowing that you're creating an example and that you're going to, you're going to mess it up, right? Like I can't tell you how many times I've made mistakes as a parent or as a business owner, but that I then just sort of pick myself up from that, learn from it. Usually we talk about it or I talk to someone else about it and then we move on. So gosh, I, I would not, the, the best thing I've ever had come into my life is her, which is why I think that's where the emotion part comes from it because I, like, I just love the crap out of that kid. And I don't know if I've ever had like a true soulmate in this world um, other than her, which is a big thing to say. And I know not everybody feels that way about their, about their kids, but I've had a lot of like unsuccessful relationships or however you want to define it. Cause sometimes those unsuccessful relationships are successfully unsuccessful, but my, my relationship with her has been, she's been my greatest teacher and my greatest motivator and my biggest inspiration. And I just, I just hope to be as cool as she is someday. That's a great answer. <laughs> my answers are so long. I just have a lot to say. I guess. I well, I mean, pe- people are here to listen to you, Marlies. So uh, it's all right. <laughs> My face is so hot right now. My hands, so anytime I get like worked up, my hands get ice cold. So remember you mentioned I was a classical pianist. This is why I was the worst competitive piano player growing up because my hands turn ice cold and my face gets like burning hot. And right before you play the piano, the last thing you want is to have your fingers like frozen. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We end every podcast with the same question. If you are seeing it as business as an adventure, right? If you were to give your field notes or your trail guide to somebody who's starting their own business, what would those say? Oh, guys, that's a big question. Field guide, a field guide to starting your own business by Hart Photography. <laughs> when I was watching my daughter first learn to walk, she fell down so many times. And Angie, I'm sure you can relate to this. But no part of her ever thought, well, maybe I just won't walk. It was, I'm going to fall down and I'm going to get back up. And I'm going to just, there's no other option. I'm just going to keep falling and getting back up until I'm walking, right? And then I'm, I'm doing that weird little baby waddle. 
And then from there, I'm going to fast baby waddle and then, and then I'm going to run and then I'm going to be in college, right? No, I'm just kidding. Cause they grow up too damn fast. But it's that, it's that like failing isn't an option and you're going to fall, right? So failing is inevitable, but I'm never going to give up. And having that sort of drive of knowing I'm going to fall down you know, a million times during this journey. And, and I'm sure with you guys with business and it's an adventure or as photographers or as parents or in any aspect of your life, you're going to fail, but it's those failures that teach you, right? It's, it's every time that she would fall down while she was learning to walk that gave her that feedback of, okay, here's what I need to do differently next time. Right. Maybe I need to hold on to the ledge with one hand <laughs> and try walking or push my baby carriage while I'm walking and then, you know, and then let go and take one step or two steps. Right. And it's so instinctive to them. But somewhere down the line, we sort of lose that instinct. And we think that if we don't do something right away or if we don't do something right the first time, that that means that we shouldn't do it. I guess the, the, the field guide is that sort of never give up mentality. If you really want this and if this is what you, if you want a successful business as an entrepreneur, it's going to be the hardest thing that you've done. Just like learning to walk as a one-year-old is the hardest thing they've ever done, but you don't stop until you get there. Right. And then you just keep learning as you go. That's a good answer. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We really appreciate it. I I think this is... Oh my gosh, you guys. I'm so humbled just to talk to you guys. You guys are both amazing. I I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Angie. You guys are fabulous. Thanks so much for tuning into our show today. You can find a transcript of this episode and all of our episodes, as well as our show notes at businessasanadventure.co slash podcast. You can find us on our Instagram at business as an adventure. We'd also love to see you in our Facebook community where we provide weekly free education for our fellow adventurers. You can find the link in our show notes. And finally, if you want to get a weekly, not spammy email from us with our favorite things we found in the business and creative world, you can sign up for our field note Fridays at businessasanadventure.co slash field notes. <laughs>